I want to share a picture a friend of mine gave. You can have a seat if you want, and I'll shift gears, and I'll share what I did plan on sharing. But, uh, you, you know, the uh, there's all these apps. I think Apple has probably the best one. Todd would definitely argue for music. You know, GarageBand, is that the latest? They have a newer version of that. GarageBand, you can play, you can sing a line into it all the way through, and then you can play guitar, and you can play the keys if you're talented like Todd, and you can do all those things. They could add the drum, and they could add harmony and all this. And you could go and record all the way through. And, and the modern versions of that now are such that if you sing a little bit off key back here, like you hit a note wrong, or you're off tempo back over here, it goes back to the beginning and it fixes it, as if you sang it perfectly the first time through. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That is what Grace does. Are you tracking with me? Are we that non-musical here? You get what I'm saying, right? You sang like off key, like ridiculously off key. You were off beat, like a, like a six-year-old playing drums for the first time. And this thing is able to go back to the beginning, go wipe it clean, and it sounds perfect as if you sang it right from the first time. That's the power of grace. That's what our God is able to do. Come on, nod your heads or something. You guys are like scaring me. It's not that hot in here. God is able to do that with our story. And that's why those who trust in the sovereign hand of God, those who know and keep our eyes on the Lord through it all, especially, even and especially, when it seems like all hope is lost, that's why our stories will turn out in the end as God intended, as the author of our faith intended it, so shall the finisher of our faith put the last period at the end of the story, and it's going to be as if we didn't mess up in the first place. Isn't that a great, beautiful thing? Because he is faithful. We've all been unfaithful at various times in our lives, but he, his mercies never come to an end because his faithfulness is so great. Uh, kids, you can go back to kids' church right now. So some of you taking that and so want to make sure on their kids' church has begun, you can go back. And that for sure is David's story. We're going to come today to the lowest moment I think in David's life. <laughs> I keep saying that. He's got some worse ones to come when he becomes king. But right now, this is going to be the moment. It's the place called Ziklag. If you have your Bible with you, join me in 1 Samuel 27 because I want to catch you up a little bit and kind of set the stage. David has been through it, hasn't he? David got this promise as a young man, you're going to be the next king. I'm anointing you. It's going to be you and me, David, man after my own heart. The prophet Samuel said it. He never got things wrong. So it was a done deal. If Samuel said it was going to happen, it was going to happen. David goes through this whole journey that we've been on with him for the last few months together. And then he comes and he, he has two opportunities to put an end to his misery. He's running for his life from this mad king who's been throwing spears at him now with 3,000 elite soldiers from Israel. He has opportunity to put an end to it. And twice he lets Saul go. His men are probably getting just a little bit agitated about that and or they are learning some things about the grace of God that nobody had ever tapped into yet. There is nobody except for Moses who drew out the mercy and grace of God like David did in his lifetime. And that's why he was the king that Jesus said and the angel said of Jesus, he's going to sit on the throne of David. That's a throne worthy of the incarnate son of God. How many of you want to live that way? How many of us would like to leave such a legacy with all, and, and we've seen some failures of David. We're going to see another one today. There wasn't a perfect man who did all this, but it was a man who was after God's own heart, who understood God's heart, carried God's heart, and was pursuing God's heart. That's what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean that we've arrived. The very fact that we are after something means that we haven't arrived yet, Right? So let us, let, let's take these lessons from David's life and convince our soul it's worth continuing the pursuit. It's worth to continue after God's own heart. So this moment in chapter 27 comes right after David spared Saul's life yet again. He let him go. His men are probably rolling their eyes. Some of them are thinking, I don't know if I want to keep on this thing. I thought he was going to take him this time and, you know, it, we even offered to do it for him this time, and he said no. So David finally said to himself in chapter 27, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. 
I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in the territory of Israel, and I'll escape from his hand. Now, even David, who wrote some of the songs we've been reading together these last few weeks, in his lowest moments, turned his heart toward the Lord, finally comes to a place now where he said, I'm going to die. If I stay in Israel, Saul's going to catch up to me and he's going to do me in one day. How many of you know that it's easy to have faith on the first day? Right? You believe in God for something miraculous to happen, something to be restored, something to be healed, something to be unbroken, like put back together that was broken. Day one, you're ready to go into that prayer meeting. You're shouting, you're on your face, crying out to God. No problem. A week later, maybe a little bit diminished. For some, maybe a little bit louder for a little while. Then the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years. And sometimes, yeah, the years turn into decades. And that's when we find out what's actually on the inside of us. That's when we find out how pure this faith is. Can we actually continue to walk by faith and not by sight? And David, although he had the anointing oil sent still on him, though he had the promises of God, though he had the prophet and his own walk with God confirming again and again, you're going to be the next king. Goodness, Saul himself even said, I know that you're going to be the next king. As David stood on top of a hill holding his water jug and spear in his hand after sparing his life for the second time. Jonathan, the king's son, confirmed, you're going to be the next king, not me. This isn't going to be passed down to the firstborn. You are God's chosen king. He knew all of these things, but finally he came to a place where he said, Saul's going to kill me if I stay here. And so now I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to go back to the Philistines. Remember the last time David went to the Philistines? He's had some interaction with these guys before. He picked up Saul Goliath's sword at the high priest's house. Remember this? And then he ran to Gath, stood before the king with all the king's generals standing around and only then realized this wasn't a good idea to come to the enemy whose champion I used this sword to cut off his head and here I am. And so he pretended to be a madman and ran off for his life. That was the last time he was face to face with King Achish of the Philistines, but he's going to go back and try his luck again. Don't look at David like that, because every one of us, when rubber met the road at some point in our journey, we took matters into our own hands and we did something really stupid to help the will of God come to pass. Did I, was that too strong a word? That was a New York way of saying that, I realized. But sometimes, some things are just plain stupid. Nobody is stupid. I don't believe in such a thing as somebody who is stupid. But we all do stupid things. And this was a stupid idea. I'm going to take my 600 mighty men, their wives and children, and I'm going to go to the king of the nation that I've been conquering since the day I cut off the head of their champion, and we're going to go find refuge because it's safer there than here in Israel where God has twice given my enemy into my hands to do whatever I wanted to do with, but I don't trust God anymore. So I'm going to go take matters into my own hands and go hang out in the Philistine territory. I'm sure it sounded really good at the time, as all of our dumb ideas sound good at the time. At the time when we say, God, it seems as though you might need my help to speed things along here. Maybe it's time to take my will and not yours and, and then we'll do this thing because I don't like the way that you're leading me right now and so I'm going to find another path I'm going to go bushwhack my way into some shortcut and I'm going to find my way anybody ever do that? and what happened next? you end up in some poison ivy somewhere you end up down the bottom of the mountain and you look up you realize I'm supposed to be up there right now you get off on this crazy place, and we've all done that. And this is what David does at this point in his life. He says, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this into, I don't even think he said it to God. He just said, this is what I'm going to do. If, if we ever find ourselves saying, I've just got to figure some things out, tackle your own self 
or say it to a friend who loves you enough to take you down and say, for God's sake, don't do that. Don't try to figure it out. Every time human, humankind, every time we have tried to figure things out, you know what we do? We build the Tower of Babel. We build another way. We give birth to Ishmael's this way in our lives. I won't go into that. That's a baby that should never have been born because Abraham and Sarah got a little tired of waiting on God. And so they created their own child of promise. That was never going to be God's child of promise. And it created all kinds of headaches for themselves. David was about to do that for himself. But what happened with David was that for a moment, and it didn't last long, but for just a moment, David failed to keep God's promise before his eyes. He reminded himself often of what God had said, but for this moment, it appears that David failed to do that. Failure to keep God's promise in focus opens the door for a spirit of despair. For whatever reason, I'm not going to judge David. I hope you don't either. After all of these years, most people believe this is about eight to ten years of wandering in the wilderness, running for his life, doing all these things that we've been looking at together. And he finally despaired. And David said, I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. David wrote it all in his journal that we now call Psalms. He wrote it for all of us to read for all time, but here he is. He didn't keep the promise in focus. He opened himself to a spirit of despair. How many of you have a promise from God that has yet to be fulfilled in your life? That's a serious raise your hand question. It's either a prophetic promise or something you just know. Sometimes we call them dreams. So you know that every one of us carries things that we call dreams that are woven so deep inside of us, we can't get away from them. They become a, I must do this with my life or I'm going to feel like I haven't lived yet. That's what a, a dream feels like. And that is another way that God communicates his promises to us. I've got this thing in me. I deeply desire to do it. And I want to tell you that once God has spoken and God has said, this is what you're going to do, nothing can stop that. Nothing can interfere with that destiny. You've heard, uh, I'm, I know I've preached this here about Saul or Paul on the boat on his way to Rome. And the angel of the Lord visited him in the middle of the storm and everybody had despaired on the boat, which for a moment included Saul, Paul, until the angel came and said to him, oh, and you must preach in Rome. So not a life on this, not a hair on any head on this ship's going to be lost. Why? God already told you, Paul, you're going to go appear before Caesar. So why are you worried about drowning in a storm right now? That's a word for many of us right now. You are not going to drown in the storm. Saul is not going to catch up. Now, King Saul, he's not going to catch up with you and do you in. That destiny and that plan that God has for you, it will not fail unless, this is a big unless, and this is the only way. Do you know that God's will does not always come to pass in people's lives? It doesn't. God's will is that none should perish, but some do. God's will is that we will fulfill the good steps he, we were created. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he foreordained that we should walk in them. God already laid out a path and he said, just walk on this path. You'll do everything that's in your heart to do. You're going to feel so alive. It will scare you and you're not going to miss a thing. There's nothing from the outside. There's no angel in heaven, no demon in hell, no human being alive that can interfere with God's call on our lives and stop the divine destiny we were born with. Do you know who can foil the whole plan though? Us. We can decide. This is a free will society. This is a free will creation that we're in. And at any moment in time, we have the authority in our life to say, that's it, I'm done. I am quitting and I'm going back into the territory that I once came from. We are free to go. We're free to stay. We're free to go. That's what we got back in Christ. We got our free will back. We were once slaves. Now we have choice again, but we can choose to put the shackles right back on our hands. I know all my Calvinist friends, I hope they're not listening to this because man, I'm going to get what for from any of them listening right now. But I'm positive that we have choices to make. And David made a choice in this moment to go to a Philistine king. Despair is in the hearts revealed when we find ourselves taking refuge in something other than God. You know how we know that we've really come to the end where, where by despair, I mean 
we've, we're not walking by faith anymore. We're not walking with God's promise before us. We're not repeating the word of God. We're arguing with the word of God instead. We're not walking in a way where we're keeping God close. Despair means it's the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of having a living hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if we've lost the substance of it, which means the sense of, you know, true faith is when our heart rests as if we already have the thing we have faith for. That's what faith is the substance of things hoped for means. It means I don't have it yet or else I'm not hope. You don't hope for something you already have, right? I hope I get gray hair on my head one day. I, right, I have it already. You don't hope for something you have already. Faith is what fills the gap until you have it in your possession. And true faith makes the heart feel as though I already have the promise of God. I just can't see it with my eyes yet, touch it with my hands yet, experience it in the natural realm yet. That's what faith means. I've got that. So for a moment, David fell into this despair, and, he, and this might be what he was talking about. I almost fainted. I almost got off of the way. I almost left the Lord. I almost walked a different path. But there was something in me that still believed. I'm going to see the goodness of God here in the land of the living, not a pie in the sky in the by and by. He's going to be faithful to watch over his word, to perform it in my life. Are you guys there? Oh, it's all right. So if it's just that, man, you're really making me think about that, that's fine. Nod your head and go, oh, I'm really thinking about that. If we say you disagree with that, be like a New Yorker and go, what? At least I'll know. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> All right, so let's go on. So David arose and crossed over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Malch, king of Gath. Um, and David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, uh, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail. You remember Abigail, right? Now it was told Saul that David fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him, so it appears the plan worked. David said, hey, I'm going to go hide in Philistine territory, and then Saul will give up looking for me. So for a moment, it seemed to have worked. Isn't that the best and greatest deception of all? Our plan worked. See, God, I told you. Oh, I know none of us dare say it out loud, but something in our spirit, when we go our own way, we figure it out, we make our own plan, and for a little while it seems to work, right? And then, and then you just need to know what the enemy done did is he did a rope-a-dope. Because for a while it seems this is working so well. How do we know that it's not God at work? Because we're making something happen. And the stronger our will, you know, there's some people that are just, they could do things, they're like a force of nature. You ever you have friends like that? They, they just, they're going to get it done. Dare I say his name? Donald Trump is like this. He's the most famous force of nature existing in the human body. If he wants to get something done, he's going to get it done. Think of that kind of personality. We all have that in some measure. And for a while, it might seem if we're making something happening, it appears that it's working. Why should we have a smoke detector going? Because the day, the time is coming when our plan fails. The time is coming when we realize maybe this wasn't a good idea after all. Maybe, and especially if it involves some kind of thing that we once repented of, meaning we bury that in some baptism tank somewhere. Maybe it is a little bit, a little bit of sin that we've engaged in again that's comforting our soul instead of letting the Lord comfort our soul and running to him, instead of away from him or going back to the old comforts of our old way. Sometimes comfort's just found and I'm going to make more money and I'll buy some stuff and I'll have a nice, easy American dream life and that's good enough for me. The problem is that it has a limit to it. And there's something inside of you, something inside of me is named Christ in us, the hope of glory that's just never going to be satisfied with it. And we're going to feel as empty and as falling apart as we ever have. I have really good news for you. David is in this place, in this chapter. I have good news for you. God loves meeting his people in that place. He's waiting for us in that place where finally we come to the end of our rope and give it all up. So David said to Achish, look, if I have found favor in your sight, then let them, let the lords give me a place in one of the cities in the country so that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? 
And Achish said, all right, you can have Ziklag on that day. And therefore, Ziklag belongs to the kings of Judah to this day. That means the writing of First Samuel. The kings of Judah owned a little bit of Philistine territory because it was given to David. And the number of David days that David lived in that country, the Philistines, was a year and four months. And he was having, they were having the time of their lives for that year and a half. They were going in and conquering. They were pillaging cities. They were living. They were raising their families. They settled it. Um, archaeologists think they found it and they built like stone houses in this place. They, they said, maybe this is where we're going to live now. Ziklag, city of David. Can you imagine if God would have let him have his way and he would have just stayed in that place? Ziklag, city of David. I'm just, I'm tripping over that. I hadn't even thought of that till just now. That was not his destiny. That was not his place. He already claimed Jerusalem to be his. Remember, he brought the head of Goliath to Jerusalem after he cut it off. As if to say, the enemy that I just devastated, one day I'm going to rule from this city. And here is my first fruits of victory for the Lord in that. I don't want to be careful not to get back in there. So even when all seems lost, if the hand of God's with us, we have his favor even with our enemies. The, the enemy, the king of the Philistines, this is the same king who, who knew David, the giant slayer. I mean, just fathom this for a minute. David is right before the king who looked at David at one point and his lords reminded him, hey, this is the guy that they're singing the songs about. Remember that top 40 hit over there? David slayed, you know, Saul slayed his sound, David sent that. This is the guy right here. Look at, look at what's in his sheath right now. That's Goliath's sword he's carrying. You can't let him stay here. David's back before this king and somehow the king says, oh, yeah, you can have Ziklag. He's got 600 men with him this time before he came alone. And all of a sudden the king's like, yeah, I think, I think this would be all right. Now if you read the next couple of chapters, it appears that the king of the Philistines thought, well, Saul's going to kill him. So he's an enemy of the state. Maybe I can use his gift for me. Maybe he'll fight for me. Maybe I'll, you know, put him in Ziklag and those Amalekites will stop invading my land because David's there. This would be great. I could use his gift for a little while. But the point is, God gave David favor with the enemies, arch enemy, arch enemy of Israel, gave him a place to live. When war, uh, the proverb says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies dwell at peace with him. There is something about the favor of God that each and every one of us carries. Doesn't mean that everything's always going to go well. Favor, favor means that, hey, I'm, I'm going to be walking on rainbows the rest of my life butterflies and rainbows everywhere for the rest of my day. No, it doesn't mean that. But there are moments that God will just sovereignly and supernaturally all of a sudden give us things from people that we thought were serving our enemies. He is that sovereign. But this place in particular, the place Ziklag, you know, every place, every name, every place is meaningful. Ziklag is not some random city. The word Ziklag, the name Ziklag means poured out as water or to be pressed for the purpose of extracting what's within. So think of it like a well where you draw water out from the ground, you draw it up, and you find out what's deep beneath the dirt. It's this pure water that, that comes out, or whatever is actually inside. So ziklag means the place where we find out what's actually inside of us. Now, how many of you, when I say that, you don't have to raise your hands for this. When I say you're going to be pressed and squeezed, and crushed and then we're going to find out what's really inside of you how many of you right away think oh man all the bad stuff's going to come out you can give me an awkward smile too <laughs> right right away we think oh man if I, I don't want what's in me to come out well i got two words for you then i don't mean two words because i didn't count what i'm about to say i mean just two things to say to you number one if you are concerned about what might squeeze out, then I would encourage you to enjoy the joys of repentance and forgiveness. And learn to master that. Learn to run toward God. Learn how to trust Him as a Father. And learn how to have your sins forgiven for His name's sake. To just be comfortable before God. To admit what He already knows and you already know. And say, I confess. 
I need to be delivered of this thing. I want to be set free of this thing. Then you'll never worry about what's going to get squeezed out when the pressure comes. Second thing I want to encourage you with is there is something deeper on the inside of you, saint of God. There is something much more meaningful than the junk that comes out at first, but we'll get there in a little while, a very little while. First, I want to get you caught up on David's story before we come to what happened at Ziklag. So David's there with his men. They're having the time of their lives. They're going out. They're conquering Amalekites. They're in the Negev desert. They're, they're chasing away Amalekites from the people of God, and they're conquering. They're taking back all the spoils. And then when they'd come back, it says King Achish would come to them and say, Hey, David, where were you out pillaging today? That's literally what it says. Now, there's just a couple of kings hanging out. Hey, who'd you conquer it like Vikings, you know? Like, and they're just going out pillaging. Hey, where were you pillaging today? And David lied to him every time he came back. It was a subtle kind of lie. He said, oh, I've been in the southern territory of Judah fighting against your enemies. What he didn't clarify was your enemies, the Amalekites, not the Jews. And so the king, King Agash, began to think, man, they're really going to hate David now. If he's in southern Judah, that's his own tribe. He's there conquering the... The Judeans, oh man, they're really, he's really odious. I love that's a great word, odious in their sight now. And so Achish is all in on this thing. And for a year and a half, David's getting away with this. He's a wily one, I'll tell you what. So this is all going on and, and, and that. And then meanwhile, the Philistines invade Israel again. And King Saul, who has lost his mind and he's lost the presence of God, did what every mad king did back in those days and he sought the help of a medium somebody who could call conjure up spirits and find out you know like a fortune teller type or a what do we call them today what do you call somebody who can connect you with dead spirits we still call them mediums a psychic something like that those things <laughs> to summon and, and and he said to her hey, i want i want to talk to samuel because the last time I heard the voice of God was through Samuel the prophet. Now, he, his mind was a little foggy because the last thing Samuel said to him was, you ain't going to be king anymore. God's taking the kingdom away. So she conjures up this spirit that appears to be Samuel. I'll address that in the podcast, not today. That appears to be Samuel the prophet. And Samuel the prophet says to him, why are you bothering me? I already told you, you're not going to be king. God took the kingdom away from you. And you're going to die tomorrow. And then disappears. So this is Sam. This is Saul the king now. Has just been reminded. Not only did God take your kingdom. But this is your last day on the planet. And Israel is at war with the Philistines. The battle went poorly. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But when uh, David came to King Achish. And he said hey I heard you're going to war against the, the Jews. I'd like to fight with you. I want to go to war against Israel with you. I'll take my 600 men. We'll go and fight with you. And this is when the lords of the Philistines had enough. They said, whoa, whoa, hold on. We don't trust this guy. These, this is Goliath's cousins here that are like, whoa, don't you know? This guy is, he heard the songs. He, he's been our enemy. There's no way in the middle of battle, he's going to turn against us. This is a trick. Don't trust him. So Achish comes to David and said, David, I'm so sorry, man. I would love to keep you. I trust you. But the Lord say no. So you got to go back to Ziklag now. You can't come to fight against Israel with us. Now, whether David was actually going to fight, was he actually in such despair that he was ready to actually turn against his own people? Doubtful, but who knows? How many of you have ever been so despairing and feel like everything just fell apart? Everything I ever dreamed of was for nothing. And why is it even worth it? Many a prophet, many a servant of the Lord has asked the question, is it even worth it to serve the Lord? Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been so low and gotten so beat down by life that you ask the question, I don't even know why I'm serving God. It just seems like the harder I try to serve him, the more bad things happen to me. Would David not have the right of all people who have ever lived to say that right now? Every time David had opportunity, he did the right thing. Even as a refugee and an enemy of the state, he's still fighting the Lord's battles, protecting God's people as if he was already king. And now he finds himself in foreign territory with, with these 600 mighty men, and that's all he's got left. David maybe could have thought for a moment of despair, 
Maybe my best bet is to use the Philistines to conquer and I'll become king like that. Who knows? The scripture's silent on it, so I won't say another word. But suffice to say that, that King Acre said, okay, you're going to have to go back to Ziklag now. Go back to your home and uh, we're going to war without you. So chapter 30. It happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. They took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and all the people who were with them lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and Abigail. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. All of them were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. So here's David now. He is by himself again. Only this time, he has an angry horde of mighty men. You remember these guys, right? One of them took down 8,000 with his spear single-handedly. One of them jumped in to kill a lion in a snowy, on a snowy day in a pit. God knows why he did that. But that's the kind of people that David surrounded himself with. And they were now talking about stoning him. After all he had done for them, after all their years together, here he is again, betrayed, left alone, and abandoned in his hour of need. He just lost everything again. What are you going to do in a moment like this? Saint of God, have you ever felt like everything that you'd ever done for God had just fallen apart right before your eyes? Have you ever felt like I've just lost everything that's important to me? Whether it's happened before or it feels like that has happened sometime in the future, i got good news for you. You're in really good company. You are in the company of the conqueror. You are now in the company of those who are going to cross over to royalty. You're in the company of those who will now be known as friends of God. Because when all other friends have abandoned, when you haven't a soul left in the world and not a thing left in the world, if you turn toward God in that moment, he loves showing up in those kind of situations. Moses had been in this moment himself. David and Moses traveled such a parallel journey, only, only Moses took a lot longer for him to get to his almost promised land, but his, his place as friend of God. And Moses was there. This is after now Moses came down with the Ten Commandments only to find that the guy God had just told him was going to be high priest had fashioned a golden calf, having taken an offering from all of Israel and had shown them and said out loud, Behold your God. And Moses confronted him. And Aaron, again, soon to be anointed high priest of Israel, Aaron, he said, Moses said, what are you doing? Aaron said, I don't know. I pull this gold in the pot and this calf just popped out. Like a three-year-old who just got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And when me, chocolate dripping down the face, Moses went back up on the mountain, interceded, and said, God, don't kill them all. Don't wipe them all out. What will everybody say? It's not like you. And he drew out, as I shared a few weeks ago, God's goodness. But here's the, here's the moment that Moses had. Because if anybody, I mean, if Moses would have had a low moment, all these weeks of journeying in the wilderness with them, all the miracles, all the signs, can God make it any clearer he's for them, not against them? Can God make it any clearer that this stupid golden calf, keep using that word today, is not God. That God conquered that when he killed all the, the cows in, in Egypt, that that is not God. And, and these people are never going to get it. And you know what God, you know what Moses asked for in that moment? We sing it in songs to this day. God, show me your glory. So what Moses thought he needed in that moment was for God to come through, shake the mountain again for me. Thunder and lightning from heaven. Do something that will make everybody, whoa, look at God. That's amazing. Make everybody stand in awe. But God looked at him. He said, you know what you really need right now, Moses? 
I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. Because what you read, need right now is not some awesome, miraculous event. You don't need a moment where you see my glory out there. You need a moment where you experience my goodness. Your soul right now doesn't need another supernatural manifestation. Your soul right now doesn't need another conference, doesn't need another an encounter with some kind of thing that makes you go, wow, what you actually need right now, Moses, is to experience my goodness because you're about to quit. You've seen the signs. You've seen the wonders. You don't wonder anymore because you've seen enough wonders. You've seen enough signs. You know how to get to me. You don't need that. What you need right now is to remember and taste and see that I'm good. What you're in need of right now is an experience of my arms wrapped around you when everything seems to be falling apart and everything you've done, all these 80 years of Moses' life, he could have thought, what was this all for? I got the people out of bondage. Here they are, and they're ready to go and be a pagan again. And God says, Moses, I'm just going to touch you with my goodness. This is what David was in need of. This is what David knew instinctively. He was despairing. He was alone. But like a knee-jerk reaction, he'd trained his heart to know exactly what to do in this moment. Everybody else, we're going to stone him. We're despairing. We're ready to quit. And we're going to kill the guy. We're going to blame him because we can't blame God. So we're going to blame his leader, David. We're going to stone him to death. David took another course as Moses did. And he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Where do you go? When you have no friend left who understands or is even with you, we never don't have God. We never don't have the goodness of God available as the tree of life was available for eating in the Garden of Eden. He is always there to experience his goodness. The, the, the greatest lie ever told, the sum of all lies, is that God's holding out his goodness on you. The only way we don't taste his goodness is when we choose not to partake of it. The only way we don't experience the goodness of God in our life, it has nothing to do with the circumstances surrounding us. See, if we put our hope in God based on the circumstances turning out the way that we expect them to, then we will think that God is a bitter fruit, that God's got nothing but troubles, nothing but hardship for me in my life. But if we turn as David did and remember he's good, the turning point in our life story is always when we turn toward God instead of away from him and what we might rightly call our moments of truth. You know, we use that expression, right? This is your moment of truth. This is the big day. This is the decision you got to make. This is the time when you're going to go in a good direction or a bad one and affects the next season of your life. And when we come to those moments, if we're in despair and everything's gotten fall apart around us, we have a choice to make. I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to go my own way right now because I'm tired of the way you're leading me. I don't like the way that you're taking me into my destiny, God. I'll find my own path, thank you very much. Or we say, I'm running to you right now because you're all I have left. I pray, no, I don't believe any of us has ever actually got to the place where God's all we have left. All of us at some point have good friends around us. All of us, the truth is, have a church that loves you, a family of God who will pray, who will comfort, who will support, who will do anything necessary to help carry you through that season if that's necessary. But even if that were all taken away for some reason, turning toward God and remembering he's with me right now, how are we going to do this? We open up a supernatural storyline in our lives when we do that. A supernatural storyline. We're not born to live just any ordinary life. We are born to be those who go exceedingly beyond what would have been possible without God. If we end our days in life and all we've done are the things we could have done without God, I would propose to you that we have missed it. We have missed our path. We have missed our destiny. We have missed the amazing things that God has in store for us. If we can look back, but if we can look back and say, I would have been done for right there, but God came through. I would have been completely off course I would have destroyed my life, might not even be alive right now, but God came through. Then I would propose to you that we have finished our lives living the great adventure that we call faith. 
There is a God is anything but boring. God is anything but same-o, same-o, predictable. God is the greatest adventure that there is. So let's, uh, I want to read you a psalm and close out in a moment here, but let's, uh, let's go back to what I uh, shared in the beginning. You're in the squeeze, whether it's happening right now or it happens someday in the future. If we want to find out what's on the inside of us, there is a process to it. So I think most of us, when I asked that question at the beginning, when you're squeezed, what's going to come out of you, most of us think at first all this negative stuff. You can find out by the things that we say in a moment of despair, a moment of weakness, a moment when things fall apart. The words that come out of our mouth are a good indication because sadly the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and we find out what's in there. Then while many of us fear that because we're like, oh man, I don't want feel so angry at that person right now. I just spoke curses over them. That's not me. I don't want to do that. And that's true and not true at the same time. We're, are, we're like a well. Jesus said, he who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So think of an old-fashioned pump. You ever see one of these? You guys have seen a lot more of them than I did in Queens. If you want to get the clear water out of the depths of the well, you first have to clear out what's in the pipe. So you don't, kids, if you ever see one of these, don't stick your mouth under it when you first pump it because you know what you're going to get, right? It's a mouthful of rust. A mouthful of whatever was sitting in that pipe since the last time it was used. It's still water. It's just sitting there. If it's a really old one and it's got lead in it, well, now you're about to get lead poisoning because whatever's in that pipe that goes down to the well that's deep in the ground. That's the first stuff that's going to come out. But if you keep pumping that thing, keep pouring out what's in that pipe, what follows? Really nice, clear, the best water you've ever tasted. I grew up drinking New York City tap water. Tell you what, first time I got to drink from a mountain spring, I about popped myself. I drank so much. I was like, I've never had water in my life. What's that stuff they put in the pipes? That's what's in there. So if we believe that we're filled with future things. Maybe we believe that we're filled with future things. And that's why we stop pouring out our hearts before God, because we're so terrified of what's coming out. We're so scared about, wow, that was in me. That kind of judgment was in me. That kind of unforgiveness was in me. That kind of faithlessness was in me. That kind of mistrust of a God who's been so good to me. That kind of whatever it is that we're afraid of pouring out. Maybe the problem is not that that was pouring out. Maybe the problem was we stopped pouring it out before the good stuff started to flow. Maybe before we found out what's really on the inside of us, we stopped being honest with God. If nothing else from David's life, we learn how to be honest before God. And we learn how to talk to God and tell God what's actually going on and use the words of our mouth to do it as David did. So I'm going to read you a psalm that David wrote. We don't know exactly when he wrote it. This would have been a good occasion for a psalm like this. This is Psalm, uh, what psalm is it, 13? Is that what I said I was going to read? There's so many really good ones for a moment like this. So here's what David said. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, that's not the kind of song that we sing in worship, right? That, that's a song for a bad day, but it's an honest song. And watch how David does it, because how David did it is how we do it. How long are you going to hide your face from me? You can say that to the Lord. That, how long? Yeah, how long will I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow? Now, he said it more poetically than we speak. Having sorrow in my heart all day. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long is this going to take? Now, in fairness to David, it's been years, maybe a decade already by this point that he's been doing this thing. And he said, all right, God, I've had enough. Isn't this enough? How much more refining do I need already? I'm sorry I prayed for patience. Can we just be done with this? How long? Consider, look at me, God. Consider and answer me. He said to God, answer me. You ever do that? You ever, you ever pray and it's silent? It feels like the heavens are like brass. You ever stop and say, are you going to answer me yet? Do it. You know, it's the weirdest thing that we do. It really is. 
the God who knows our thoughts before we think them, we measure our words when we talk to him. Like, I'm going to be careful. I don't want to offend you or anything like now. Because if I told you how I really feel, I think you might be offended with me. Stop it. Pour it out. I urge you to do it out loud. Sometimes hearing the words as they come out of our mouth is better than just thinking them in our mind. We have authority in our mouth, yes, but we also need to crank that pump and get the rust out first. Because right behind it, there's the living water. There really is. It's still there. The spring is still good. The spring is still good. The well has not gone dry. Christ in us is a supply that never runs out. So you keep pouring it out and lighting my eyes or I'm going to die. It's very dramatic, David was. I'm going to die. I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. My adversaries, they'll all rejoice when I'm shaken. All right? Crank, 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 rust, rust, rust. I got it all out. Now comes the living water. But I've trusted in your loving kindness. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. This is one of David's bipolar psalms. Can you stand with me? I say bipolar jokingly, of course. David was willing to experience the full range of human emotion in his walk with God. He was willing to continue on where many others would have quit for the sake of experiencing everything along the journey to the throne that he needed to experience, trusting that God was sovereign enough. I mean, David wrote the song we sang today, you lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. What does a path of righteousness look like? It doesn't just mean I'm going to behave righteously while I'm on this path. It means a path that makes us righteous along the way. David had some things to get out of his system because a king who holds on to things that David had, remember when he almost killed Nabal and his whole household? Remember here when he was willing to partner with the Philistines to achieve God's destiny for his life? Man, you don't want to be trusted with authority if that stuff's in you. All of us are called to sit and rule and reign with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And so this is a path to get it all out of us. How does it go? We pour it out. Pour it out before the Lord. I bless you and pray that God will give you grace to be honest in God's presence, that there won't be any more measuring of words before the presence of God, that you will say to God, confess what's in your heart. Do you know that the word confess literally means to agree with something? So let your mouth agree with what your heart is experiencing. Hear the words that come out of your mouth and keep pouring them out until you run out. I have in my days with God, I have yelled at God. I have even used language that I used before I knew him. Yep, I swore before God. He got so offended he done left me that day. No, he didn't. Through <laughs> all my virgin ears. No, he didn't. I don't speak like that, but I was feeling it. Certain things had happened. Honesty is of tremendous value before the Lord. The truth. The truth is all that stands before God. So be truthful with him. What is it that you're upset about? Tell me. For some reason, God knows, but he still wants to hear it. It's a beautiful thing about our God. The all-knowing, omniscient, all-seeing God still wants to hear it from us. So why not, instead of being afraid of the punishment that might follow, why not let perfect love cast out fear this time and say to God, I am so angry with you about this thing. Tell me how you feel. I feel abandoned right now. I feel like it's not even worth it to serve you right now. I feel like it's absolutely hopeless. And I honestly don't even know if I believe that you want to come through on my behalf. I don't know if I still believe that you're with me in all of this. Those are scary things to hear. What if what if I were not giving examples right now, but I was actually saying that to God? How would you feel about having a pastor who was saying things like that? I'm not feeling that way right now, by the way. Those are things that I've said to the Lord over the years. Pour it out. And then go back and say, once that's all poured out, the truth is 
I trust in your loving kindness. Let's say that out loud. Lord, I trust in your loving kindness. Lord, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That can't be taken away. There was a day of your salvation, and there are many days of salvation that have followed that day. Say out loud, I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he's dealt bountifully with me. You know, it's amazing. It's kind of like once all that junk gets cleared off the top, once all that stuff gets out the well, we remember and all of a sudden, you, you ever get to a place of despair such that you can't even remember the good things that God's already done? You ever, you ever pray? Like I've prayed with some people and I always try to prime the pump with thanksgiving, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And if I'm trying to help somebody overcome and come out of a place, we'll come to a place where I'll say at some point, now just begin to give God thanks. Everything that comes to mind, just give God thanks for it. And it's amazing how the deeper we are in despair, the harder it is to think of anything. You ever been there? It's hard to give thanks. It's hard to remember. Why? Because it's been like this cloud, this thing that stopped it up, this rust in the pipe that's made us forget. And so we prime the pump. Let's give thanks. He's dealt bountifully with me. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember a similar situation that I was in and I felt this way then. And God came through and he set me free, redelivered me from that thing. Or he made what the enemy intended for evil and he used it for my good. Oh, I remember that God's dealt bountifully with me. That's right. That's the truth that will displace that lie. May the truth of your testimony give you strength. If you find yourself in a season right now, or when you find yourself in a season like David at a Ziklag, may the Lord give you strength to remember his goodness and then experience it yet again. Hallelujah. I love you guys so much. I can't wait to hear the testimonies and to see the fruits of more than conquerors right here in, in our valley. Amen. I love you guys. Have an awesome week in Jesus. I'll see you again soon.